Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. Okay, hi. Hi. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so last week we had the tool of narrative. Choose your own adventure. (laughs) Choose your own interpretation. Right. How did it feel to do it? You know, I'm realizing now that um, it's very easy for me to do the work, you know, and we talk about the work, not Mm -hmm. Byron Katie's work, but whatever work you're doing in your life um, when you're in crisis, you know, when something's going on and when -hmm. you're not in crisis and you're called to do the work or you're are doing work, it's, um, it's really challenging and it's, but I, I think important at the same time. And, you know, now I'm thinking, okay, what's the balance? Like, how do you, how do you find the balance of having to address things because they're important and they don't go away, you know, or get better if you don't address them and, um, not, living there all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like it's easy to be like, okay, I'm, you know, there's something huge going on. So I'm taking care of business Right. when there's nothing huge going on. It's like, do I really want to do this? You know, is Mm -hmm. this serving me? I, I don't know. It's just, it's been super interesting. Like when I was listening to, when I was re listening to our um, episode from last week. First of all, after we finished, I was exhausted, like, yeah, <laughs> you, you yeah. know, so tired. I'm like, what is going on? And then when I listened to it, I was tired again. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's emotionally exhausting to do this stuff, but also super important and freeing. And um, I don't know. My I think sense. the emotional exhaustion, like, I think that's all the more reason to do some of it when you're not in crisis, because you actually need a lot of resources to do it. Yeah. And so when you're in crisis, although that's like the natural point to like, be like, okay, hold on, what's going on? Let's fix it all. It's also, you don't, that might not be the best time to do everything because you don't have the resources to to send to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I also have definitely seen, you know, people and I've done this myself where you're just like, okay, I'm just picking scabs open. Like what, like how do I recognize the line between like actually doing things that are effective and helpful and, and enhance my life versus, you know, am I just pulling myself apart for like sport, you know? Right. Right. It's a fine line. It's It's a fine line. Yeah. And it's hard to determine when it's helpful versus when it's just ruminating or 
But I found this, this exercise after, you know, I, I procrastinated doing my homework and then (laughs) after I did it, I found it super helpful and, um, Mm life-giving. So there's the answer. Yeah. So it's good. It's just, it's a, it's a haul to get there. (laughs) It's a haul. It it definitely, it's a haul. It's hard. It's, I, it's interesting. Cause I like, I think sometimes people ask me, cause I do this all the time. Like, this is all I do. <laughs> right. But I think I have the luxury of stepping out of my own stuff because I'm always talking to other people and, or doing research, which is totally not personal. You know what I mean? So toggling in, so I guess maybe that's the thing. If you're, if you're super interested in, in it, you can still engage in this kind of stuff. I hate the phrase, the work. I don't know why. I know. I know. How um, else do you say it? You know, I know this like personal, I guess we could call it like personal, I don't know, enhancement or something. Growth. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. Um, I think you can engage in this type of stuff in different ways, but it's also really okay to like take a break, you know? Yeah. If you're not in crisis and you're, you're just feeling fried on, on looking inward, you don't, you just don't, you don't have to do it all the time, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of processing happens under the surface and not in the conscious mind. And so like, even if you're not consciously sitting down and doing exercises and stuff or sitting with a therapist or a coach and doing all this stuff, you're still, work is still getting done. You know what I mean? But this, this has allowed things to bubble up for me that yeah. um, I didn't know. Oh, interesting. We're there, you know, yeah. which yeah. is, I, I think the result of doing the work when the house isn't burning down. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> you know, it's more like peaceful. So the stuff yeah. has more space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Okay. So just to go over what this is again, in case people didn't listen to last week's, um, this is an exercise that I kind of made up cobbled together from other narrative therapy stuff. Um, some it's possible someone else does something very similar. I don't know. Um, but it's kind of a choose your own adventure format. So you take a thing that you're struggling with, write it down in facts, write your negative interpretation of it, you know, and then write three more interpretations. And part of the reason we're doing that is to get the distance between what an interpretation is versus a fact, mm-hmm. because we put those two together a lot of the time. And we assume that our interpretations are facts and sometimes we're wrong. Um, but it also just gives you the understanding cognitively that there's, even if you're tied to a particular interpretation, there are other ones there that you can pick up, you know, mm-hmm. do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah. I'm super nervous. <laughs> ah, it's interesting. Like we don't talk about these things before we start recording. It's like, I know I'm super nervous. Okay. This is a story that I struggle with. Okay. And I'm going to just read what I wrote. Cause it's going to be easier for me. Okay. Um, I got married at age 40, 40, um, so, you know, later in life. And after we got married, four months after we got married, we moved to, um, from Massachusetts, from Boston to Virginia to be closer to my husband's children who were 12 and nine at the time. Uh, we thought it was important to be there while they were growing up um, during their formative years. Prior to that, he had been going down to Virginia every other weekend to spend, you know, a um, couple days with them. So we were going to take a a more active role. So I personally went from a full-time career, um, living on my own. I had my own place, my own friends, family were in the neighbor, were in the area. 
net my network to being a step parent um, 10 days out of every month with everything that that entailed. Um, and I have to be a little bit careful here because uh, I want to protect the, uh, the innocent in this story, but this was a high conflict divorce. It was a very contentious custody situation. There were many, many court battles. Um, and my husband was working in New York at the time. So we were living in Virginia. He was working in New York. So a lot of the time I was on my own while I was there taking care of the kids, which became, you know, fodder for some of these court battles. Um, one of the, <laughs> one of the best ways I can describe it is about a month into uh, moving there. I was in the supermarket on like a Tuesday afternoon, you know, trying to buy stuff for the kids. Um, and I broke down crying because it, you know, I was in the frozen food aisle and I was buying bagel bites and I was like, how did I go from, I was working at Barney's New York, which was a luxury retailer in Boston. How did I go from Barney's New York to Bagel Bites in 30 days? Like, how the fuck did that happen? Like, you know, um, so Barney's that's the Bagel Bites. Barney's to Bagel Bites. If I ever write a book, that's yeah. Be it. <laughs> um, so those are the facts. And the story I tell myself about this is that we, specifically, I made this huge step at an enormous personal cost. And my fear, or what I think is that it wasn't very well thought out and was ultimately an unsuccessful mission. Um, mm. That I lost too much of myself, and it was not rewarding for a lot of reasons. Mm. And again, I don't mean to be cryptic. I'm just trying to be sensitive to the parties involved. No, totally. So the three things that I, the, the alternative interpretations that I came up with, the first one um, was that, <laughs> I don't know if I did this correctly, um, that the whole thing never really happened. It was just a bad dream that it yes. was like that. Um, That's perfect. I, I think they did it in Dallas, you know, there, <laughs> at one point that an entire season just wound up being a bad dream. Um, writers were like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget that. So that. that that was uh that was my first thing and that I'm exactly where I need to be nine years later, you know, oh. you know, geographically probably about three miles from where I was when I left. So um, I got a kick out of that after I, yeah, after I came up with that. Um, my second interpretation is that that experience gave me an opportunity to um, dip into the life that I thought I was supposed to have. Oh, wow. which was, you know, getting married younger, having kids living in suburbia and everything that that entails. You know, we built a home there. Uh, we tried to create a safe space environment. And those were all things that I thought I had missed out on. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately there was a lot about that picture that didn't feel right for me. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, like a um, validation that yeah. you weren't actually missing out and that you were doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, lamenting over, you know, not getting married earlier and meeting someone and um, mm -hmm. talking to dad about it and dad saying, Lisa, this is not a train that you've missed. Like, <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, this is not something that's just passed you by. Like, this is, this is your path. Oh, that makes me want to cry. 
Yeah. So what I ultimately came to is that this was um, an emotional detour on the path I thought I was going to have. Mm. And although it felt like it wasn't well-planned, it actually gave me a sense of purpose and got me outside of myself, which I think was necessary at that time Mm -hmm. for my own healing and growth. Mm. And the outcome in terms of it, whether or not it was rewarding or positive, ultimately remains to be seen. Right. This was part of my story and it's not a neat equation that can be uh, thought of in those terms. Like this is what I did and I got this huge, you know, rewarding experience. Right. No, this is just part of my story. And it's, um, I was grieving at the time and Mm -hmm. I, my intentions were good and, um, we did the best we could and we did a lot and, you know, the story's not over. Yeah. I got goosebumps. I mean, with all of those are goosebump worthy, but that last one, like that, the outcome ultimately remains to be seen. It does. Right. I mean, it was a bitch and it was a booger a lot of the time. And, you know, there are a lot of bad memories, but that doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile. Yeah, totally. And I think like I, I, from my perspective, you really like, I like the language, like you're a different person is so like weirdly offensive. But like, I feel like you like leveled up in all areas, like specifically from that experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you you, do? Yeah. You grew so much. Thank you. Don't you think? I do. I do. It was definitely like a um, baptism by fire situation. And um, there is a lot of good that came out of that. So, yeah. And your yeah. relationship too, you know, like, yeah, we, I mean, I, I'm grateful for that. And, you know, it was like getting into the foxhole immediately. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like, let's go to war. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I, I believe that we're stronger because of it. Yeah. So man, I don't know if I did that correctly, but it no, felt great when perfect. I was done. It's so perfect. The, um, it's so striking to me. Like, I want to know what, what kind of the, each of these like feels like, but it's so striking to me how dark the first interpretation is and small, right? Like I made the wrong decision. It didn't work out. I lost too much of myself. Right. Yeah. That's so I picture like a dark, small cave, you know? Yeah. But all of the other three, even the one that's fantastical, like it was all about dream. Maybe that just didn't happen. Right. (laughs) Right. It's that's um, there's like, it's the complete opposite, you know? Yeah. There's so much light there and, and, and openness and also just like, okay, well, then this was an opportunity to sort of dip into a life that I thought I was supposed to have and like feel that out. And then, but then not ultimately stay there, you know? Yeah. That also has light and openness, you know? And that's a gift, you know? It is. Who who gets a chance to do that? Totally. Really. We, Cheryl Strait, I think, has this, like, beautiful line about when, like, sometimes you have to, you're you're in your little boat, and sometimes you have to kind of travel by a life you you passed by. And it's on the the shore there, and you're in your little boat. And it's so hard not to to look onto the land and say, like, that's beautiful. I want that life. It looks so homey and cozy, and you're alone in your little boat. Yeah. 
we just have to like withstand that, that little pain. It's almost like a type of nostalgia for something that didn't happen or something. It can be bittersweet instead of just bitter, you know? Right. This was so healing for me because I, you know, we left two years ago and before we left, you know, I was seeing a therapist who, and I was struggling then like, why do we do this? And, you know, it didn't work out and and we're leaving with our tail between our legs. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and he made me write out, he called it the yucks, like write the yucks about where you are now and write the good things about where you're going. Yeah. You know, and it was a list. So I had the yucks about, um, Richmond and then the, you know, the yays about Boston and Mm -hmm. like that, that really helps. So, so this has been going on for a long time for me, you know, the way that I, the story that I've been telling myself about the situation. And do you think it's like, so it's just kind of operating under the surface and getting in the way? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man. So what can we go to this? This is kind of an annoying question, but what, can we like talk about the somatic experience of each of the stories? Yeah. So like when you tell yourself the first one, <clears throat> that one that you've been in kind of rolling around in for two years, what does that like feel like? Um, feels like defeat. <clears throat> defeat. Yeah. yeah. How does that like, where does that live in your body? Um, it's, you know, it's tension, it's stress, it's a stomach ache. It's, you know, how could things have gone so poorly, you know? Yeah. It's like you're wringing yourself out. Yeah. What, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? You know, you're, you're a Monday morning quarterback. Like, yeah. Should we have, you know, handled this situation a a different way? Should we have not gone at all? Should Mm -hmm. we, you know, I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a loop. Yeah. Doom loop. Doom loop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not like, I think we, 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 we miss, sometimes how much that takes hold over our day-to-day life, you know? Yeah. We think when we're not like directly thinking about it, that it's not there, but it is. And it's affecting our behavior and the way that we relate to people and what we do and the future we see for ourselves and the whole thing, you know? Yeah. And I talked about, I think last week, you know, (laughs) feeling stuck, you know, and not knowing what was going to be next. And I think that this has contributed to that because I feel like, okay, you did something and it didn't turn out well. Oh shit. Yeah. So it, there's a fear of choosing the next thing. Cause it's going to be the same. Yeah. And also that you're probably doing some like calculus in your head where you're like, well, I have to figure out all the ways this went wrong before I pick the next thing and move because then that way I can avoid it. Exactly. Damn. <laughs> no, it's huge. Right. It's just so fascinating. It's like humbling, right. Where you're just like, oh shit, I'm in my yeah. own way. Like. <laughs> But you can't, but I could not have gotten to this until like I was able to break it down. Yeah. Probably not for the two years that it took to, you know, yeah. Live there. Right. I'm not saying I should have, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up for not getting to this point sooner. Right. Right. Um, But this was like a backdoor way to kind of realize how this might be impacting me. Yeah. And then what does the, we don't even need to do it for all of them, but like it, when you, when you flip into like, okay, maybe it was all just a bad dream. Like in your head, you know, that that's not true. Like, what does that feel like though? It felt great. I got a huge kick out of that. I was like giggling to myself. (laughs) So like Like, brought in bad, like humor. It brought in humor. It brought in like, you know, a a lightness to the situation. Yeah. Like, you know, wouldn't that be amazing if I just woke up and that whole thing didn't happen? 
Right. You know, which by the way, like, even though that's like a fantastical idea, like it's not actually that out of the realm, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of live your life as if that's true. Right. In some sense. Right. This is what our imagination is for, you know? Yeah. It was exciting. It was, it was, it was very um, light and airy and there was a lot of space created with that. What about the one about like, this is the opportunity to dip into the life I was supposed to have and kind of. Like you said, that was validating because, you know, I think I said at one point when I see, you know, my peers on Facebook with teenage children, there's Mm -hmm. a part of me that's like, oh, you should have done that. You were supposed to do that. Yeah. Okay. You did do that and you didn't like it that much. So. (laughs) Right, right, right. You tried that. It didn't work. Right. Not for you. Right. Or not in that way. I shouldn't say that, you know, I'm not, you know, everyone's choices are their own choices, but. Right. And it was, yeah, it was a pretty um, exceptional set of circumstances. Yes. Um, What about the, the, so you said like you kind of settle on this, this last one of like, this is an emotional detour and it felt like it was out of the plan, but I grew and the outcome ultimately remains to be seen, you know? Yeah. It's hopeful. Makes yeah. me feel hopeful. It's it feels to me like it has a lot of like peace. Yeah. Like if the giggling one is like the opposite of the tension, then that's the the emotional detour one is the one that feels like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can breathe. I can accept this. I can yeah. I'm I I I might have laid some great groundwork and yeah. I'm excited about what could come of that. Yeah. And also like the, the outcome remaining to be seen is so beautiful because we, I don't think we notice this about ourselves, but we like things that happened in the past mean different things in the future. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like it, what it means to you now it's in the past and it's fixed. So you can't do anything about that, but what it means to you now might not be the same thing as what it means to you in five years. Right. And so you might have this moment where you're like, oh, wait, if this hadn't happened, then I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I had this terrible job like on Wall Street when I first got out of college and it just felt like a complete aberration. I knew I wanted to go to grad school. That was obviously what I was supposed to be doing. And like that year just felt like, what the hell, like a pause, you know? Yeah. And for a long time, I was like, that was such a waste. It was so, I learned so much like, yeah. And I've thought about that job a million times since and being like, man, I would not be resourceful in this way if it hadn't been for that terrible job. I wouldn't be this in this way if it hadn't been for that terrible job. You know, you just don't know. That's beautiful. It's cool. I love that. It was a terrible job, but. (laughs) (laughs) But you have good stories. I do. Totally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, um, like something that I can look back on with that situation is that I really came across some wonderful, wonderful people and, you know, some professionals that I trusted and I listened to and I followed their advice and Mm -hmm. they guided me through Mm -hmm. some of that stuff. And um, I'll forever be grateful to Mm -hmm. them for that. So even when I didn't know what to do, I knew enough to trust Yeah. Those people. Yeah. To show me the way. And they did. And they they are wonderful at what they do. So I'm grateful for that. I kind of love those moments of like, that's the Mr. Rogers, like look for the helpers kind of. Yeah. Where you're just like, when you really encounter a specialist or an expert or whatever, who can like say, 
who can just be a light or a catalyst at that moment in your life is like amazing. There was a team of them and they, they, yeah. they are remarkable people. Yeah. And, um, I, I should write them letters. I should really, yeah. you know, they, the youngest is about to turn 18. So this is wrapping up and I, I should write them. I've yes. often thought I'm going to send flowers on his 18th birthday oh. to all these people. <laughs> That's um, it's actually funny that we're going to come back to letters in a few minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I need help with mine. Okay. That's fine. It's I hard. Didn't, I didn't fully do my homework. So I have my story, but I, um, I need help with the interpretations. So I can't, I won't share a lot of details, but you know what happened and I'll give enough details to, to know, to, to be able to work with it. Okay. But the, I think sort of the best way this is such a me thing. <laughs> the best way to talk about it is by using a story that's not related to it at all as kind of a metaphor. So when we were moving out of mom and dad's house, when we sold the house in Longmeadow, I had this dollhouse. This is going to make me cry. <laughs> and like when I was little, it would be, I would get this dollhouse had like floors to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would get a floor for Christmas. And then dad and I would go to Longmeadow days and pick out like miniatures because there was a guy that used to make miniature little things, pieces of furniture and bookcases and stuff like that. And it had like lights in it. Like it was like a dollhouse that had, like you could plug it in and it had little lamps and like hanging lights and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, I loved it. Like it was such a, even as an adult, like I didn't play with it, but it was still like just such a cool, you know, four story. There was like little rugs and stuff like this whole little house. And when we were moving out, mom always said, you know, keep it for your daughter or keep it for your daughter. We'll keep it here for your daughter, you know? Mm. And when um, we sold the house and we were moving out, it was just the symbol of like, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a home that you built and like everything we were losing and like yeah. what I would never have because I had said like, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to have like on purpose. I don't want to have what mom and dad had a, a right. house and a family and a marriage and a life because it's too painful when it falls apart, you know? Yeah. And so I took a sledgehammer and I smashed it in the driveway. You did? Yeah. Like I didn't even oh. just put it in the dumpster. I like smashed it into a thousand pieces. How'd you feel when you did that? Terrible. Yeah. Like it felt, I think I thought it was going to be like a liberating thing. Like I'm, none of this happened and, and everything is smashed and it's gotten smashed by circumstances. And now I'm going to smash this thing and it's going to feel empowering. And it did, totally didn't. <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. Absolutely wrong thing. And, you want to, uh, do you want it to be in control of it instead of being acted upon? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I think like a, there was like a, an awe of it, you know, like awful in the sense of like, it's, it was, it was awful in, and it, so it matched reality and it was just painful. Yeah. But, um, this is, I, so I'm in California. I lived in, in, on the East coast and I had a different life. Yep. And I now am in California, far away from that different life in all aspects. Um, and the story that I tell myself that is like the problem, the negative version, is that I smashed it just like the dollhouse and that it's going to always feel terrible because 
there's something about that loss that just sent me on this path of like not being able to build anything. Like I will always only destroy. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm trying very hard not to argue with you, but <laughs> Lisa has opinions. <laughs> and so, okay. but that's definitely like the, like the, the story that I tell myself, right. Is that like, you're, you know, you're a life smasher. Okay. So what's a different way to think about that? Um, I, the thing that I, that I like a lot, the, this feels, um, not like necessarily fantastical, but that, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know what I believe in, in terms of religion and stuff like that, but that there is some spiritual like purpose Mm -hmm. to all of these chapters in our lives that feel sometimes really disrupted or, or shattered. Right. And this is kind of what I do with people all day. And when I, I think why I study trauma is that like, what do you do when everything shatters, you know? And it's, I think that those experiences are here sort of on purpose. There's some divine like purpose to these moments where your life gets smashed or where you smash your life. And you can't tell because it's this divine thing. Like you can't pretend to be the actor that's doing the things because it's spiritually sort of set up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so there's that version. And then there's another version where it's, it's actually not destructive at all. Um, I think, you know, it, living in California and talking about like wildfires, I didn't know anything about fires before I moved here because we don't have them <laughs> in the East coast. Things don't like spontaneously combust and then burn for like 19 days or months. Um, but I learned that like the fires, it actually has a purpose. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, you can see it as destructive if you look at it in that light. And it certainly, I don't mean to like minimize it destroys people's houses and things like that, but I just mean like actual true fire that needs to happen isn't destructive at all. It's actually, it's actually generative. Right. Because what gets burned goes into the earth and then creates something new. And so you can see it destructive if you pick to, but it's not, it's not actually ultimately. And then I don't know. I need more interpretations. <clears throat> well, how do you feel when you when you think about that? That it's um, that it's ultimately helpful, like the, um, like the wildfires. It, again, it, it's similar to the to the one before it, like the spiritual one. It feels more like peace, you know, like <clears throat> like yes, it's one way to look at it that it's destruction, but you're missing all of the other sides and all of the other angles, which are also true, right? You know. Right. You're not a life smasher at all. I mean, you have created enormous communities um, in every place you've been, in every situation you've been in. You are incredibly open and light and you invite people in and you make them feel like they're at home. You know, it's like that Maya Angelou thing. It's not what you did. It's how you made someone feel. And I'm, I'm butchering that, but you're, you smashing a dollhouse in a driveway of the house you grew up in the house we grew up in is an act of frustration and grief Mm -hmm. and um mourning Mm -hmm. you have not duplicated that you you have not done that in any other part of your life and i know i'm not going with like the exercise here i'm just telling you like no but it does 
because it's like that, that maybe what you were doing was, was had a purpose that's actually not about, like, maybe it's not, it's about grief and mourning. It's an act of, you know, it belongs to that chapter. That doesn't mean it's going to extend or, or that it makes you into that kind of person that always does that. You know what I mean? Right. You know, losing mom and dad the way we did was outrageous and it was, um, Mm. it brought up very strong emotions. And I think smashing the dollhouse was, was completely appropriate in that situation. Mm-hmm. We lost everything. Yeah. You know, in two years, we lost everything. Mm-hmm. And there is this idea of home that will never be the same, mm-hmm. you know, but we'll create it in different ways. And we have created it in different ways. And, yeah. um, but that, that original safe space was blown up and you were just mirroring that in your own way. Yeah. And I think you're right. That does belong there. Yeah. I mean, we also, you you know, when we were cleaning out the house, like (laughs) had a dumpster in the driveway and we're doing like ridiculous, obscene things that, you know, people (laughs) drove by and reported it to people in Boston. And I heard about later. Really? Yeah, we're just being stupid because we're trying to make the situation like, you know. Fucking hey, man. <laughs> Give us a break. Jesus palatable. Yeah, like are, you're going to criticize what I was doing in the driveway of my house when I was throwing my parents' mattress away? Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that needs to stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You have not done that since then. You know, yeah. uh, things in your life have happened and you have had the wisdom and the... Um, mm-hmm strength to walk away from situations that were no longer serving you Mm -hmm. or were no longer healthy. And at the same time you've created Mm. new dollhouses everywhere you've been. Yeah. You have. We want to cry. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So maybe the dollhouse is like, you know, you can look at that as like a cool, like tool. Yeah. For what you're doing. Yeah. You've built this coaching community. You've built, you know, you had your, your previous work experience was life-giving for you, you yeah. know, with the, with the communities that you were dealing with. And I mean, you teach like, yeah. And I'm not saying that the, the story you're telling yourself is wrong. It's just, you need to continue to work on the interpretations of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it is wrong, right? Like, I like that doesn't feel. It's funny, like looking at all. So I have another one that I just made up, which is that I'm a superhero, right? And I have like a cape, and yeah. I like leave situations when they're about well, to kill me, which is wicked smart. That's right. what you should be doing, right? You know, right? We should I'm all of have that little drawing that I drew that you like laugh yes. at, where like yeah. launching off of that box, yeah. A lot of people don't have the strength or the, or the resolve to do that. It's very difficult. Yeah. And you don't burn the house down. You, you leave in a way that that is graceful and kind. Yeah. Let me try, but I also think like, we know we, we, yeah. Judging yourself is a way of, there's something that, that I don't know. It's like, it serves you in some way, keeps you in that space. I don't know what it does. It's something protective, you know? 
It's control though. And it's like a, it's not, it's rigid. It's, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, the, uh, the, the joke, the big joke is that you have control over any of these situations. Yeah. And if you just do something differently, it'll turn out differently. Yeah. Is that helpful at all? Super helpful. It's amazing how different they feel. I know. You know, like part of this is about being like, okay, what, how am I making myself feel every day when I'm forget about what I'm doing or capable of or whatever? Like, how am I walking through the world when I'm telling myself I'm a life smasher? It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. (laughs) That's, that doesn't feel good. It's tense. Like you said, there's constriction and like pain and immobility, like all of these things versus like, you know, the superhero one, I imagine like flying, you know, that's right. total ease, but then the, the, okay. You know, all these other versions, it's like, there's just peace and space. Right. Right. Maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. Hold on. What right. about if you look at it this way? It's huge. Right. Yeah. Even if I mean, you still go back to the bad story, sometimes you still then have the space or the awareness that there's other possible interpretations, you know? Yeah. You have the question of maybe I'm not a life smasher. Right. Right. Maybe I'm not, maybe I didn't make a big mistake and fail. Right. Man. This is a good tool. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great tool. Do this people. It's, it's, it's hard to do it, uh, you know, on your own. You really, you need, you need Mac to help you (laughs) (laughs) work through it. Or Lisa, uh, because it's, it's challenging. It's really, it's challenging. Well, cause you have to like face the thing, you know, so the other ways that the other thing that becomes painful about this is that when we have a negative story about ourselves, we like, it's there and we're like cu- trying to turn away from it. And so it yeah. gets bigger and we don't like notice it. So in order to address it, you have to turn and face it, which feels really scary. Like, Oh, what's going to happen when I like look at this thing head on and try to figure out what's there. Right. You know, right. That can be really scary. So yeah, do it to do it with other people, do it together, do it, do it with something really small. That isn't, we did, we both did really high stakes ones. I did mine because Lisa was brave. So I decided to, Um, (laughs) but like you can do it with, you know, I I'm having trouble asking for a raise at work because I don't believe that I'm working hard enough to deserve it. Even though my market value is 20,000 more than it is that I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do it with stuff. Not that that's not a big thing, but it doesn't have to always be like a big, supercharged emotional thing. You know what I mean? Right. Crazy. It's good. It is good. I appreciate okay. it. Thank you for. No, I'm glad. I'm glad it's like that you like it. It's interesting to always see like the, um, what comes up in like the procrastination. You know what I mean? Yeah. I totally procrastinated. was like, nope. <laughs> well, it's super interesting because we know each other so well to be surprised by each other's stories. Yeah. Too. That's yeah. You know, it's one thing if you're, if you don't know someone that well, if you haven't, right. you know, it, it, it's, it, yeah, it, that's, that's true. We, I can't believe you didn't know about the dollhouse. We took, we, that's, that's crazy. I remember it in the corner of like the third floor. Yeah. But, but then I, I smashed it. No, I never talked about that. That's weird. <laughs> It, it was important. It's something you needed to do. It was, yeah. it represented what you were feeling at the time, which was completely, I mean, I, you know, I told people off. I like, I was, 
Yeah. Whatever. I was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a right to be. Damn it. Yeah, we did. We um. Did. Okay. So for next week, so I, we need to talk about the hope circuit again. Okay. Cause we've, and I know we've talked about this before, but I want to explain it really quickly just in case there's people who haven't listened to those old episodes and we're going to do two hope circuit exercises. I kind of wanted to like go, cause this exercise that we did this week's narrative one is, can be pretty heavy <laughs> as we've <Yep>. seen. Um, <laughs> so we're going into the light part of the brain and then, okay. So just really quickly, again, your brain um, has, you can talk about the brain in terms of structure, blood flow, and electrical activity. And so when you're talking about electrical activity, you're talking about circuitry. And so your brain has certain circuits that operate when certain things are going on. So if you're feeling panic and fear, you are in the limbic system and the amygdala, which we talk about, which then you know recalibrates everything that's going on in your brain and body because your brain is interpreting the situation that you're in as mortal threat. And so when that circuit is on, it takes a lot of energy. There's a lot of blood flow going to the structures in your brain that are responsible for responding to threat and not the other parts of your brain. And so all of these exercises that we're doing are altering the blood flow and brain circuitry so that we can access things in different ways. And there is a counter circuit to the fear circuit, which is, has been called by Martin Seligman, the hope circuit which is the part of your brain and the structures of your brain and the circuits of your brain that are responsible for connectivity and joy, humor, future planning, all stuff like that, imagination. And so the, the hope circuit and the fear circuit can't be online at the same time. It's like trying to run the hairdryer and your um, <laughs> air conditioner, the fuse will blow. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you are in the fear circuit for a reason like that is not necessary. Like you're having panic, but you're, there's not actually danger that you need to respond to. One of the things you can do is flip to the hope circuit by engaging in a couple of exercises that bring that circuit online. And then by default, turn the circuitry of the fear center off. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. So there's two exercises for this and I'm taking, um, for the first one, the second one will just be Martin Seligman's. So I want to give him credit for that. He's a huge figure and he's the father of uh, positive psychology. The first one I'm taking a, his sort of exercise, but changing it with a view to what you might be struggling with if you struggle with trauma or anxiety or depression. Because one of the things that you can do to flip into the hope circuit is to think about your future and plan for your future. And for lots of us, that's actually like impossible. <laughs> Lisa just made the emoji face with all the teeth. Like, <laughs> Oh shit. <laughs> so, and this is just the thing, like I was doing this with people because I was reading about positive psychology and learning about this and thinking like, Oh, this is so cool. Let's think about our future. And then everyone, including myself, like couldn't do it. Yeah. And then that's, that becomes another negative loop where you're like, okay, well, I can't, I can't do the hope circuit thing. So I have no hope. And so I'm hopeless. And then, you know, that just goes to a dark place fast. So I made up this exercise where you don't actually plan on your actual future. You imagine your a fake future, a movie okay. future and anything future eat things like the more ridiculous, the better, because the thing, I, this is my thing. So there, there haven't been studies on this. But the part of the hope circuit also has imagination in it. 
And as adults, we don't really engage in imaginative stuff the way that kids do. And it's one of the reasons why kids are more resilient than we are. And um, so when you imagine a fantastical, fake and ridiculous future, you're still in the hope circuit. You're still turning on that imagination part. It doesn't have to be your future. Okay. And then the more you do that, the more you turn down the fear center and the more likely it is that at some later date, you can start putting in things about your future. Okay. That could be really tiny. So the first exercise is for 15 minutes a day, like really intentionally set a practice of dreaming ridiculous life for yourself. And so what that might look like, just to give you an example is, okay, I'm going to move to Paris and become a ballerina, right? I'm nearly 40. I'm pushing 40. (laughs) (laughs) I don't speak French. I don't know anybody in Paris. This is not going to happen. So I'm putting that like in the dream. Like this is not actually something I need to then go start worrying about, right? I can just go into the future and be like, okay, so if I lived in Paris, what kind of apartment would I live in? And I picture the the apartment from Ratatouille, the guy, (laughs) which I love with the skylights. (laughs) (laughs) And I have fabulous cashmere leggings to wear to the studio and I stop and get a baguette because I can eat gluten because (laughs) (laughs) it's a fantasy. Right. And then after rehearsal, I go twirl under the Eiffel Tower and there's Christmas lights everywhere. And like, you know, like all this oh, fun, like to set, like get as, as much detail into the dream as possible. Okay. What are you wearing? What are you doing? What are you listening to? Do you have friends? What does your life look like? Like whatever. And at any point during the exercise, if it like, if, if negativity starts to creep in, like, oh, you can never be a ballerina. You should have stayed dancing, you know, because I took ballet when I was like three or whatever. You should have stayed in ballet. Like, no, there's, that's, there's no room for that here. We are dreaming impossible dreams. And if you're starting to build in stuff that's negative, pick a different one. Okay. You know, like pick mm-hmm. a different one. It's super fun. <laughs> I love it. It's super fun. And then the second one is what they call the gratitude visit. So this is what you were talking about with the letters. One of the other ways we can flip into the, to the hope circuit or activate the hope, turn it on is um, to think about and express our gratitude for other people in particular. Okay. So the gratitude visit is that you sit down and you write a letter to somebody who's made a positive impact in your life. And it can be like your fourth grade teacher or your, you know, so the, the guy that always bags the groceries at the grocery store right now, who always has nice small talk for you. Like it doesn't have to be, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be a big, huge figure in your life or it can be. Okay. But the point is that you write them, you sit down and you spend some time writing them a letter and explaining why they, how they made a difference on your life. It's great if you can send it, but don't let that be a barrier. Like if you don't have to send it, you know what I mean? Okay. So you can pick someone who you don't have access to anymore and that's fine. It's the act of writing the letter that flips you into that circuitry and then turns down the fear center. I love that. It also gives you perspective of like, oh, there's good in my life too. You know? Yeah. (laughs) There's bad stuff and bad people and bad things and scare and stress and all this other stuff. And there have been people all along the way helping, you know? Yeah. There are a lot of helpers. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And sometimes we miss that. 
or we don't mm-hmm. thank them and then we feel bad. You know, it's funny that you brought that up earlier because I didn't tell you I was going to talk about that. I think about that a lot. Like, yeah, you kind of, you know, these people make a huge impact and then it's like, poof, they're gone. Right. right. You know, and often they don't know it. Like that's, this is not part of the exercise, but I think about that a lot when I get like an email from someone, I don't think that people know that you're telling yourself the story that you're ineffective. Right. And then when, so when you get an email or a message that you've changed somebody's life or that they always think of you when they do X, Y, and Z, it's like a huge, I don't know what positive reinforcement, you know what I mean? Yeah. That you're doing the right thing. Fun. I love this. Cool. Okay. Do you have a tiny little joy? I do. I, um, I was out in the yard and, um, you know, that I have a cardinal thing and you have a cardinal thing too, a red cardinal thing. I finally got like a piece of artwork with a cardinal. Mm. Um, I know, I don't know why I didn't have one, but you get me one. (laughs) I know I just got one recently and it's over my bureau, but, um, I was in the yard a couple days ago and we have these blue Adirondack chairs and this red car, this beautiful red cardinal just like landed on the back of the chair. And it always makes me think of dad because I think it's it's supposed to be that someone's visiting you, yeah. you know. Um, so I took a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I took a picture of it and it just it just brought me joy. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was cool. Super cool. Birds are magical. They are magical. It's kind of amazing. Really yeah. I love that. I love those like little visits. I just was, re- I remembered while we were talking that I had a dream last night of rainbows. Oh, you did? Yeah. That was giant, amazing. super vivid over the ocean, like rainbows, which is always, we always say that's dad. I don't actually know yeah. why, but we do. <laughs> I know. And we don't have anything for mom. So we got to think about something. Yeah. Maybe she visits in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> she knocks you over the head with something. <laughs> <laughs> she makes you fall down the stairs. <laughs> Stop being an asshole. <laughs> Pull yourself together. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, okay. Mine is, I watched again, which I watched this before the Joan Didion documentary, the center will not hold. Oh, she's a national treasure. Like yeah, she is her life and her little soul, but the tiny joy piece of that. I mean, the whole, the movie is amazing. Um, and I love her relationship with, um, her husband and the, the way that they wrote together is like magical. Um, you know, they wrote books. They were separated for two years of their marriage and they wrote books about the time. His was called Vegas. I can't remember what she wrote and they edited them for each other. Oh, you're kidding. No. Describing that time. Yeah. Wow. But like, they were like living apart and it was this like huge wrenching thing and they were editing each other's work because they were their most trusted readers. Oh my God which is, I just fucking love that. Like that there's the, 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 the writing bond is stronger than anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think that's so cool. But her little soul, like she's this, like one, you know, she's quite old now and she's always been tiny and she's got these mannerisms and like this way of like holding her mouth and this whole, and you're just like, she's magic. Like, yeah. She's magic. And she talks about the most brutal parts of life just from this like perspective of we have to write this down, you know, like, yeah, we have to get this out. We have to render it into words, which I'm so hugely inspired by that. 
Oh, I love that. I'll have to check that out. It's so good. Plus you get to see, they lived a really crazy life. Like they, they were in, you know, San Francisco when everything was going down, they were in LA when everything was going down. She talks about interviewing Jim Morrison and like all of this crazy stuff, people that used to come into their house and she wow. lived in Malibu before anybody lived in Malibu and like, really? Oh yeah. Wild. I always think of her as like a New Yorker. She's, she is now. And I think they were for probably most of their lives, but I think when they were first married, they were in California. I, I should probably go back and read uh, your no. magical thing. <laughs> I read John Didion like almost every day and I can't, I can't, I don't think I can go back to that book. It, it no. like nearly killed me. That was nearly the end. That was the wrong thing at the wrong time. I know. Okay. It's I beautiful, but she has lots of other stuff. There's tons of the white album is a great book of essays. Um, she's just like amazing. Anyway. Okay. I'll check it out. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. You okay? Yes. I'm good. Are you? Yeah. You wiped out. (laughs) I am. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. It's like going to battle, take on a little piece of your life and wrestle it to the ground, you know? Yeah. But it's good. It's a good thing. It's good. Yep. It builds muscle. Yep. Okay. Um, Find us on Instagram and all that stuff. Bye. (laughs) Bye.